Let me ask you. Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter six. We're going to use the portion we looked at uh, last week when we uh, considered spiritual warfare, and we're going to focus in a, a little bit uh, closer today before. Next week we uh, move toward uh, the armor and uh, the weapons that we have been given. So we'll pick up with verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, <clears throat> but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we have, we have said this is the word of the Lord, and, and we believe that. And because we believe that, we have just read that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us right now. And so, Lord, we utterly rely upon you in this battle. Will you protect us? Will you enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth? The evil one does not want that to happen. And so, Lord, give us faith to believe. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of uh, C.S. Lewis's books, The Screwtape Letters, if you have read that, you know that uh, uh, it's not one of his theological books, although there is a great deal of theology in it. It's a very imaginative uh, account, and the account is uh, of a dialogue of, of letters that are between uh, a, a senior demon who is named Screwtape, who is mentoring a junior uh, demon, his nephew, who's named Wormwood. And it gives a great deal of, of insight uh, in terms of, at least from his perspective, uh, how they would seek to attack those that uh, uh, they want to destroy and uh, to hurt. In the introduction in the preface, actually, to that book, C.S. Lewis begins by saying this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, 
by both errors. You get what he's saying? Basically, he's, he's saying that uh, from, from Satan and his demons' perspective, if, uh, if, if there are people who say, oh, there, there aren't any such thing as devils, well, they're happy. Or if they're uh, apathetic about it, or they don't really see them as any kind of a, a threat, don't take them seriously, that error on, on that side... The demons are happy. But on the other side, they're happy when somebody gets obsessed by demons and demonology. Somebody gets drawn into seeing basically a demon behind every bush and feeling threatened and feeling like we're always in danger. Or blaming demons for everything, including our own sin that we have uh, done by choice. The devil made me do it. You remember that. Well, either, either mistake is indeed a mistake, and uh, I, I agree with Lewis there. I think that uh, to fall off either end is to put us into trouble. And so what we have to do is to make sure that our understanding of the, the evil one and of his demons is perfectly biblical as best we can. And that will keep us from falling off one end or the other and pleasing uh, the demons. Last week we, we talked about the spiritual battle going on and I, I told you we were defining the playing field, so to speak. Today we're going to focus on Who's the enemy? And what's he like? Now, I'm, I'm going to make it as simple as I can and in terms of trying to understand Satan. And I want to start with, with this simple statement. Satan is stronger than you. On earth is not... His equal, we sang earlier. By the way, anytime you're, uh, if you're at a hymn sing or something and you want to request a mighty fortress is our God, don't say, let's just sing the first verse. Because if you just sing the first verse, Satan wins, (laughs) okay? You've got to sing the whole thing uh, in order to to see who the, the great victor is. That's how it ends. On earth is not his equal. Yeah, well, we don't want to say that about Satan. Stop there. Um, you all have seen on the news about all the shark attacks. And uh, our family was at the beach uh, a couple weeks ago. I was, I was joking with them there, talking about, you know, you're afraid about the shark attacks. I said, look, if, if a shark's going to uh, get me, He's going to have to walk up on the beach and drag me off into the water. So I I wasn't worried whatsoever. But one thing Connie said that that I think was just an absolute true statement is she said, we got to remember, we're going into their world, right? That's their domain. And so if we're going to go into their world... 
I think we should expect some shark attacks. We don't want them, but we could expect it. It makes sense. Well, with Satan, we are in his domain right now. Now, the big picture is there is the God of the universe who is in absolute control. And yet the other part of the picture is that he's the prince of this world. And, and he's, he's roaming around like a roaring lion. And so we should absolutely expect that there would be attacks as long as we are in his world and as long as it is this world. So let's take a look at a few things about Satan. Uh, uh, one thing we need to understand is in saying that he's stronger than you, uh, he knows the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you don't know the Bible, but we need to understand he, he knows the Bible. Uh, at the outside, uh, outset of Jesus' ministry, uh, Matthew 4, I want to read to you some verses uh, from there. Jesus went into the desert, and there he was tempted by the devil. And this is what it says in Matthew 4. Then Jesus was led up by the uh, Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, notice how Satan is named. That's his nature. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, notice how he likes to twist truth. He doesn't say, since you're the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, that's Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what does Jesus do? He takes the twisting of Satan. He answers it with uh, the, the Scripture itself. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Quotes from Psalm 91. Not only does he know the Bible, he, he had it memorized. He did his memory work. And he's trying to use it against Christ. Pretty accurately, Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. By the way, he, he didn't have the authority to do that. They weren't his to give. But he said, all these, things, these I will uh, give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Could you have borne up under that? Here's some applications here, right, just immediately. Do not believe everyone who can quote Scripture. That includes me. You need to check me out. If I quote something, you need to make sure I'm quoting it in its right context. And you have every right and indeed an obligation if you think I've mistaken Scripture, your obligation is to ask me about it. Talk to me about it. Don't talk to others about it. Talk to me about it. And we will look together and see if I have. And if I have, because I make mistakes, I will correct it. So just because a, someone quotes Scripture, that doesn't, doesn't mean it's always right. I have talked to, through the years, many uh, people who are in cults who can quote lots of Scripture. Generally, it's out of context. But I will tell you this, how Satan will do it, how he will use Scripture. He will tell you nine truths in order to get you to believe the tenth lie. And so sometimes... The Scripture will be accurate, 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 and then boom, all of a sudden, it's heretical. Secondly, you need to increase your own knowledge of the Bible. Study it, read it, love it, memorize it. And here's another thing. I'm not pulling out of the Scripture here, but look, read, read good theology books. Not, not all of them that were written in the last five years. Read some of those that have been around for a long, long time. You may have to get an updated version to understand the language. But those that have endured, that are accurate with the Scripture, and those will strengthen you. And then we need to obey what we understand. That's our, our biggest problem. We, we, we aren't even obeying that which we do understand about the Word. Further, in terms of, of Satan, he, he knows the Bible, but he's also a convincing liar. John 8, verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. There's another characteristic of Satan. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I've heard this said about some human beings. We can say this about Satan if his lips are moving. You've heard that? He's lying. That, that's his nature. It's not about truth. It's about twisting the truth. All you have to do is Go back to Genesis 3. See his encounter with, with Adam and Eve. Two people who had the 
closest communion with God himself. And you can look at the lies of the evil one that tempted them in this sin. And then, thirdly, in terms of his own, him being stronger than you and us, is he's persistent. He knows his destiny. That's why I say he's persistent. If he knows the Word of God, then he knows what it says in Revelation 20, verse 10. It says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's read that. He knows what's going to happen to him. And yet he continues on to seek to devour and to destroy. Remember when those two criminals were, uh, uh, were out running around and um, you know, they, they knew that they were in, in really big trouble and that's what made them even more dangerous because the law enforcement was saying they don't have anything to lose. And so if they get cornered, of course they're, they're going to be dangerous. Well, that's, that's what we see here. You've got, you've got Satan and his demons who know their destiny. They know that there will be no joy, no pleasure in, in any part of their future. And yet they continue on. So I've said Satan is stronger than you. But Satan is weaker than Jesus. I wasn't going to just do point one, like singing the first verse of A Mighty Fortress. He's weaker than Jesus. One little word shall fell him. 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John speaking in the spirit of the Antichrist, Satan and his demons. Romans 8, 37. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, that's the word that Paul had used, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan's stronger than you and me, but he's weaker than Jesus. And so if you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, Jesus dwells in you. You have union with Christ. And therefore, we are more than conquerors. So that first statement about him being stronger than you, that's if there is no Christ. But with Christ in you, you are the victor here. Not because of your own strength but because of His. We need to understand His his limitations. 
He is not co-equal with God. I, I, you know, in terms of a verse for that, if you're looking at the outline, Genesis through Revelation, okay? <laughs> Just look anywhere. That's, that's what you're going to see. He is a created being, not equal with God. Too often, some kind of tend to think, you got, you got God over here, and you got Satan over here, and they're in this big cosmic battle that's going on. And boy, I hope that God wins. I hope that the good wins over the evil. They are not co-equal. Get that picture out of your mind. God is omnipresent. Satan is not. It means God is, is everywhere. In fact, we, we need to uh, remember that, that God is everywhere. Satan is not. Sometimes people say, Satan's tempting me. Now, if we get real technical, it, it, yeah, it's Satan's will that you are being tempted, but it's probably not Satan because he can't even be everywhere. So it's one, one of his demons. Now, with Jesus, it was, it was Satan. But I've seen some preachers say, yes, I was having this battle with Satan, and I think, how arrogant. You think Satan would waste his time on you? Now, yes, he would send his demons. Satan is not omniscient, all-knowing. God is. Satan doesn't know your thoughts. He can't know everything. Satan's not omnipotent, all-powerful. God is. Now, all the rest of the points that, that follow here flow from this. That Satan is the defeated enemy and he's not equal with God. And then secondly, he has boundaries put in place by God. All you have to do is you go to Job. Job is just a great glimpse of uh, an interaction with God and, and with Satan. Satan can't tempt or... Um, he may tempt or test, but he can't control you or force you to sin, and he can't possess you if you're a believer. He'd have to kick Jesus out of you first. He can't do that. So in Job 1, verse 12, we see the only things that he can do are what what God permits. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. What we see is with that little interaction was that at no point could Satan make demands on God. This is what I'm going to do and you can't do anything about it. He's, he's asking permission. And God says, This is how far you can go and no further. Satan doesn't argue with him. He's got no argument. So he has boundaries put in place by God. And then, as I said earlier, he is defeated but still fighting. 
In John 12, we have Jesus after his triumphal entry talking about uh, how he was going to his death and be crucified. And then he says, verse 31 in John 12, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now, now that, that's really essential to understand that. It happened back then at the cross. One theologian uh, applied this to the analogy of D-Day and V-E Day. Get that? You've probably heard that before. When the Allied forces in the, in the struggle to... Um, liberate occupied Europe, landed on the Normandy beaches, they won a decisive battle at D-Day. Most historians would say, basically, the, the, uh, the war was over in the sense that we knew who was going to win at that point. That was the turning point. That was the victory. But there were many battles after that before victory in Europe took place. Vicious battles. People were wounded and, and, and many died after that. And that's what we have here. Satan is that defeated enemy that is cornered and still fighting and he's trying to inflict as much damage as, as possible. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And then the good news, the great news, is what Martin Luther wrote about. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal one little word shall fell him. What was the little word? <laughs> yeah. The little word. That word above all earthly powers. That word is the, the uh, living God the Word of the living God who is Jesus Christ. And tied up with that is the, the Word itself. And so, when it says one little word shall fell him. When, when Jesus was on the cross, He looked like a little defeated Word. Satan was wreaking his havoc here in this world. And Satan was doing everything he could to defeat that little word. But his truth abides still. That word would not be defeated. And it still fells him. And so, did we in our own strength confide? 
our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be, Christ Jesus. It is He. And He must win the battle. So here we are with the table before us. The table that talks about when that little word was on the cross and what he accomplished and how because he finished his work against the evil one in obedience to the Father, this table becomes not a table of defeat, but of victory. And so if you are in Christ Jesus, we will partake of the table of victory. We don't have to worry about the one who is prowling around because he has been defeated and he will ultimately be absolutely defeated and he will suffer forevermore. But Christ is the victor. I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We have heard about that judgment that will be upon Satan and, and upon all of his followers. This table is for those who are trusting in Christ alone for eternal life. If you're trusting in yourself or your own works, don't come to this table today. It's better to let the elements pass than to be put in the category of one who would make a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. And yet if you are trusting in Christ, even if, if you are struggling, even if you have Doubts. John Calvin said, if you have doubts, this is the place for you to be strengthened, to be nourished, to be renewed in him. And I would say this is the table of victory. And we need to be reminded that we are on the victorious team because of what Christ did. Let's bow together. So, Lord, we thank you that that one little word 
is the most powerful word in the universe, and that is Christ. Christ, who is the victorious one. Give us faith and trust in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.